Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast. I am Matt Levy and I am joined by, no, that is not Gordon Freeman himself, but it is Mike Stab. How are you, Mike? I'm good and I've got my crowbar ready. Well, I thought it was Gordon at first because you're you got the the goatee, you have the the jumpsuit, you got the crowbar. Yeah. You're really going for the full on impression today. So I thought it was him himself. I really think it's good to wear a costume in an audio medium. It, feel, it helps me feel the game and the character really, really well. And uh, Gordon Freeman is one of the most, I would say, atypical video game heroes, possibly of all time. I don't. I, yes and no. I mean, first off, every time I say Gordon Freeman, I want to say Morgan Freeman. Of course. Of course. It's it kind of is the thing that like it's like a, it's like a Freudian slip. Totally. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. But it's one of those things where he's he's uh, Half-Life is a series. that's it's kind of hilarious of how popular it is when there's like two games. Yeah. Right. I mean, you look at it and there's, there's an expansion, there's spinoffs, there's other things that are people consider part of the Half-Life family, but it's really just Half-Life 1 and 2. There's some episodes, but let's dive into what where this whole kind of mega game franchise started. Let's start with Half-Life, Mike. Let's go back to November of 1998. Let's talk about the Valve game that came out of nowhere. Yeah, out of nowhere, PC-centric, releasing on Windows in, I believe, 1998. This is November 19th, 1998, so it's like a week before Ocarina of Time releases in the United States. And it's one of those things where Half-Life was like, if you were a PC gamer, this was the game you were talking about in 1998. It wasn't like the rest of us who were trying to play Ocarina of Time or you name it, or get your hands on a Tickle Me Elmo or whatever, whatever came out that year, maybe Ernie Sleeps or whatever that doll. Uh, Half-Life was like the big PC game, and it's as much of a PC game as a PC game would ever be. It's it's a first-person shooter. It's got this, this expansive story, all of this situation that happens at the Black Mesa research facility. And it's just one of those games that is so synonymous with PC gaming that I didn't really get to experience Half-Life firsthand for quite some time. It was definitely something I came into contact with much later when I finally got a good PC and I got like the Half-Life bundle pack that came with a lot of stuff that Half-Life inspired. So while Half-Life is a great game and Half-Life 2 is even better, I think the, the legacy of Half-Life isn't just the game itself. I think it's everything that has spawned from Half-Life and the ultimately the proliferation of Valve as a corporation and a company and a force in the video game industry, because this is like their first game, really, right? I think this is like Valve's one of Valve's first things. And now Valve really doesn't make games anymore, but through Steam supplies probably the single most important distribution machine for electronic entertainment on the PC, PC console or PC architecture. Yeah, Mike, that's an excellent introduction. This game was published by Sierra Studios, who was pretty big at that time in, in publishing. And they were looking for something to combat 
Doom and Quake and all yeah. these other and Wolfenstein first person shooters of its times. So and you're right. This game is as PC as PC can be. And in 1988, you're right. We've already gotten some pretty cool stuff from the N64, some pretty cool stuff, Super Nintendo, Genesis. We've had games, but first person shooters at that time were very different, Mike. I feel like before Half-Life, it was really just throw a big gun on, in someone's hands and just shoot like crazy. They didn't really care that much about plot. I mean, we talked about Doom and Wolfenstein, and we talked about Quake on previous episodes, but those games really are light on story, and they're really just, give me the biggest freaking gun I can find and shoot everything in sight. Yeah, and I think that there's something about that. There's there's a fun to that. There's a funness to these kind of big, almost like arena-style shooters with these thin corridors and these areas where you just shoot everything in front of you. And then a game like Half-Life that is much more story-driven, that has a very important lead character in Gordon Freeman, that has a story. It's 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 important. It's important to have that, to have that experience. And the PC had a feel at this time, whether you were playing CRPGs or you were playing the, the beginning of the online RPG games, or you were playing your, your SimCity style games or, or stuff like uh, real-time strategy games, like StarCraft, actually. Crazy to believe that StarCraft and Half-Life came out the same year, the same year. So StarCraft releases in March of 1998, but Half-Life ends up releasing in November, uh, once again, showing you just how important and stacked 1998 as a year is, it's almost um, impossible to fathom just how important it is. And it's not even just the games were good. It's like what these games ultimately became, right? And what Half-Life has ultimately given us as gamers in the culture is something that far exceeds the quality of its original game, which is actually quite good. Um, it's got a really great combination of like space. It's sci-fi horror to a degree, and it's got great gunplay and it's got great environments. And it had, it has this very interesting setup that is unlike anything I'd played at the time. And it wasn't something that was just focused on online multiplayer where Quake would eventually like really find its popularity. It wasn't as, I hate to say the term dumb, but it wasn't as dumb as something like Doom. And I, I say that with love because I love how dumb Doom is. But Half-Life is something else. It's like they were trying to do something uh, a little bit more sophisticated than what we were seeing at the time. And Gabe Newell, I mean, that's it, right? That That's the start of it all. Uh, Half-Life is the engine, right? Yeah, the ex-Microsoft employee. And his intent, they said, is he wanted to do something different than those kind of running guns, as you said. So this, this game had voice acting, which I don't believe it's the first, but I think it's the immersion and the interactivity with the environment and the atmosphere that this game has that makes it special. And I think the thing that it, it gives most is situation, not necessarily cutscenes, but like situational interactivity with the game where I think Bioshock really gets it from this game where you'll walk yeah. into a room or you'll walk past a room and you'll see something happening that's really outside of your control and you can try and step in, but that action is happening and you're just kind of walking in on it. And I think that wasn't really done much prior to this. Well, yeah, because I remember playing Half-Life and you kind of have control of Gordon throughout the game. And 
but you're kind of walking around, even when the story is happening around you, you're kind of like traversing around this place. Like I remember, I don't remember the tram ride yes. to the the Black Mesa Research Facility. Yes. And as you're sitting on the, the tram and it's telling you everything that this place does and you're just like, OK, OK. And you're jumping around, you're walking. But it definitely and, sets the feel. It sets the mood. Yeah. Yes, for for sure. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is what you were trying to do. You were trying to, like you said, create this immersive, continuous world that didn't feel like you were like level done, level done, right. level done. It was trying to create this bigger place. And yes, Bioshock clearly borrows a lot from a game like Half-Life, especially when it's trying to give you that kind of that suspense and a little bit of that horror element, and especially in that sci-fi realm. I think Bioshock focuses more on horror than uh, Half-Life does to a degree. But I think Half-Life you know, ultimately shows us that you can have one of these continuous large experiences in a computer, in a PC setting. Yeah, I love that you brought up the tram sequence because you got this like robotic narrator and as you're passing by like these military compounds, toxic waste, you know, these missile silos and you're like, whoa, we're getting into some some deep stuff here. So I, I think that's great that you brought that up. I think the, the as they called it, scripted sequences, what they actually called it. So you could walk into a room so it could be eaten apart by an yep. alien or yep. a guy could be pulled into a vent. And you're right. There is that horror to this. And the story, I'd say, Mike, is, is kind of a C or D plot by yeah. movie standards. But yeah. for a video game, this was kind of fun. This was kind of a cool plus time. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's the problem with video games, right? They're still very much B movies in terms of story. So while this is, like you said, it's probably like a C or a D for a video game at the time. This was cool. This was really cool. And I feel like a lot of storytellers that would have been making B sci-fi and horror movies transitioned over maybe to making video games because they embrace the B nature of B movies so incredibly well, right? It's like, okay, yeah, that could be camp because it's a video game. You're right. shooting if stuff you made, and blowing stuff up. If you made this into a movie, you'd probably end up being Starship Troopers, which yes, yes. is fun, but no one's going to give it any Oscars or any any significant awards. No, but that's that's a, that's also part of the problem, right? That's part of the problem because we have this kind of this kind of arrogance, right? And this kind of approach towards stuff that might not be a level writing or a level storytelling. And we think of it as lesser. Right. And it's not, it's no, not, no, it's, it's still, just a different way to tell it's that still story. entertainment. And we need all different yes. forms of entertainment. That is so true. Half-Life definitely fits the bill. Now, Mike, this was a, a modified version of the quake engine. They said it's yes. about 75% new code. And there's a couple of important things about say the map and the environment. There's no, there is no map, you know, no. it's, there's no significant objectives. You just kind of have to like figure your way through each room, each yes. corridor, each factory, each industrial compound or sewer that you're in. You just kind of got to find your way through, which I kind of now look at games like Portal, which is yeah. also a Valve game. And you're like, wow, a lot of stuff that they did there, they were doing back in the original Half-Life as well. Yeah. I mean, Valve's gameplay kind of design follows it. Right, follows itself through everything they do. Portal is very reminiscent of Half Life. Obviously, Half Life Two is very reminiscent of Half Life, and it's something that really kind of captures what Valve is all about. It's all about this kind of big continuous environment, and you have to kind of find your way around. And there are puzzles, and there are you know events that you come across, and there are things that you have to shoot. And it's just it's very it was very unique at the time. It was very very unique. 
Yeah, I think so too. And like you said, I think the inspirations from this game are are tremendous. I mean, I think right off the top, I said Bioshock. Yeah. I think Halo, I think the entrance in the beginning of this game, how kind of sets the world, you're adjusting to everything. Then there's an explosion thing happens. You don't get a gun right away. This game, you don't get the crowbar and the gun for a while. I feel like Halo took a lot of what this game did. Yeah, I think so. I think any first-person shooter that releases after 1998, even till today, takes some degree of inspiration from Half-Life, whether they know that they have or not. And that's really important to see the impact that Half-Life has had on the genre. I mean, a story-driven first-person shooter with a wide-open world. I mean, look at Halo. Excuse me. Look at Halo Infinite. Right. Look at Halo. Even to this day, Halo Infinite's this big open world first person shooter game that's heavily influenced by itself, but also by things like Half Life and what came out of Half Life. Half Life, it, it's not just Half Life. Right. I remember they used to sell a box and I think it came with like Half Life. It came with a couple of games like in one box. It came with Half Life. It came with Opposing Force, Blue Shift. Team Fortress Classic. And eventually they started putting Counter-Strike in there. And what Half-Life did was not only did Half-Life create this wonderful first-person shooter with this amazing story, the two expansions for Half-Life, which were Opposing Force and Blue Shift, were designed by a Gearbox software. Gearbox software who would go on to create Borderlands, another giant open-world looter-shooter RPG. So this is where Gearbox starts to get their start because Valve worked with them to create these expansion packs for Half-Life. But probably the biggest impact from Half-Life are the modifications in the mod community that sat down and created mods to Half-Life. Now, I forget whether or not Team Fortress was a mod or I think Team Fortress was something that Valve might have created. But we got Day of Defeat out of as a half half life mod which ended up becoming its own standalone release which is like a world war 2 uh, world war 2 online shooter but the big one is counter strike counter strike which is still played today on the competitive scene it's one of the most popular first person shooters of all time it is hyper competitive mike it, just to stop you for a second have you ever heard of a mod of a video game that was recognized by the creators and then eventually released as its own game, a Counter-Strike, I believe, who's on the Xbox. I mean, this is unheard of. Counter-Strike is, yeah, it's on everything. The only time that I can maybe see this, an equivalent is Ms. Pac-Man. Yeah. That's the only time that I can think off the top of my head. Now, obviously, it's off the top of my head. Sure. That you know, someone's that, yelling, saying, there's that one other exception, guys. Well, there's that new game that's like a mod of Skyrim. Uh, I forget the name of it, but I'm not sure if like Bethesda was like, oh, we like this. We're going to we're going to produce it. Actually get Valve's recognition here. Yeah, it was was unheard of. And support. Yeah, they they support it and they helped it. And that wasn't the first time they did that. I mean, that's not the last time they did that. No. Um, No. Now, as people know, Half-Life Source, which I'm sure you were going to get to in a second, 2005 came out seven years later. They brought some of the quality life improvements from Half-Life Two, some of the visuals and some of the physics of the newer game into the original Half-Life. And if you can get access to that game, the source is much more, I'd say, easy to play today. Well, that was the source engine, right? They used to make uh, Half-Life 2. And I, I don't know if that's what they used for Portal, but 
it's it definitely is a much better version of the game because it does have like the half-life improve half-life 2 improvements and half-life 2 even by today's standards still looks pretty good i remember playing half-life 2 on a pc back when it came out and i was very impressed with how good half-life 2 was but once again it's another game where you're just kind of exploring around but to have the mod community create something that might be bigger than the original game is is Not absurd. Absolutely. I mean, I, I and also Counter Strike is instrumental in in the creation and necessity to have Steam. Back when Counter Strike, I never really played much Counter Strike. My brother did, and it was loaded up with mods, and it was all crazy stuff, and it was so much fun. Like the shotgun we had was Arnold Schwarzenegger's shotgun from Terminator Two. We had Wolverine claws for knives. It was stupid, but it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun playing Counter-Strike. But I remember when I think it was Counter-Strike 1.6 released, you had to download this program called Steam to download it onto your computer. And it was the biggest pain in the neck. We all hated it. And now, like Amazon in like 2006, we can't live without it. We can't, we need Steam now. Kind of like how Amazon in 2006 was like the last place you would go to try to buy something. You had to buy books for school usually. Yeah, or something. yeah. But now it's like I buy everything on Amazon. So now it's like Steam is is in, is on so many computers and is so important. And it all just goes back to Half Life. And Half Life is the the game that opened the door that for Valve to kind of get into everyone's home and get them to buy electronic games through the internet to this point where every year when a Steam sale will hit, my wallet cries a little bit. And I have Half-Life and Gordon Freeman to blame for that. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. One about Dr. Gordon Freeman. Where do you think he you know, fits or ranks? You think he is a memorable character to this day as far as video game characters? I think so. I think he's memorable. I think, I think the fact that you know, Alex might be more memorable now. Like she, this, the franchise might have become hers at this point, or it's getting to that degree because I know people really like that character a lot. But she and Gordon are—it's hard because Valve doesn't make games. If Gordon Freeman was more prevalent in more games now, if they were making more Half-Life games starring this character, I think they would be—he would be easier to be like absolutely. But I do think so. I do think, I think he stands he's, there. I still think he's recognizable. Just seeing. The goatee, the glasses, the suit, the crowbar. I just think people know who yeah. he is or the, know the of image, course. even though they might not know who what they're looking at. Yeah, he's very much in the same class as like a Master Chief sure. or a Kratos or those like kind of gritty, like late 90s, early 2000s, like Western video game characters. Yeah. I wouldn't put him with Duke Nukem and the Doom guy, but I would definitely put him in the class with like your Tomb Raider, uh, your Lara Croft rather, or... I think Lara Croft is much more popular on the list, but I think like Gordon is in that conversation. He's in that Lara Croft, hey, a Master Chief, Kratos, that that type of conversation. So the other question, Mike, are you familiar with the ending of this game, which people found kind of kind of unique back in 1998, where after you are transported uh, back to the planet Zen and you beat this kind of crazy brain looking alien you get transported back to the ultimate villain which they give you a choice but they don't really give you a choice and this was very interesting back in 1998 it's like before it was new because like this whole that whole having a choice thing was new in like i don't know 2004 2005 so the fact that you're able to get that in a game from 98 even though it's kind of like eh, not really it's it's still cool it's still something that's incredibly original 
So what's awesome is they, they kind of don't give you a choice. The G-Man, this ultimate villain who you've been kind of seeing throughout the game, he pops up on a bunch of places and on the train says, I can basically either kill you or you can come work for me by jumping through this portal. And it's this kind of crazy yep. thing where he's forced to be hired by you have no idea who. No. Um, and that's where Half-Life 2 would jump in 20 years later. But it was a really cool ending where you think you had a choice there and they kind of flipped the switch on you. It was really uh, really something. But I don't think people made it that far into this game because some of the space stuff, I think, lost people. I think so. Alien Probably. stuff, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Once you start getting to that. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And I mean, if the choices join us or die, it's, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess, I don't know. They made a sequel. So I guess the story kind of tells itself. Exactly. But yeah, 1998 Valve's first person came to PS2 as well, but it's best definitely known as a Windows title. Now, one last bit of trivia. Did you know, Mike, that this game had a Dreamcast release that was weeks away that was yes. canceled because they yeah. decided that Drusego was going to stop making the Dreamcast. So Valve canceled it weeks before it was going to come out. For some reason, I thought I remember seeing it on the Dreamcast, but I definitely think I've played it on the PS2 as well. So it did leak out and people were playing a leaked out version on the Dreamcast. I actually had played it, but it was never an official release. Oh, that's why. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of uh, a lot of Dreamcast piracy, which oh, I think yeah. was part of the reason why the Dreamcast ended up failing. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately for Sega, uh, that's a shame because Sega is now completely out of the hardware business. Uh, they've actually just recently and most sadly, they've gotten out of the arcade business now. So yeah. all those beautiful arcade machines and arcades that Sega ran in Japan are no more. It is a real shame. Sega was a really great, important part of everything. And I'm really upset the game, the uh, Dreamcast failed. But that's not Half-Life's fault. I mean, Half-Life was... Half-Life probably would have been good on the Dreamcast. It wasn't going to save the system, but I'm sure it would have no, been fine. No, no. <laughs> but it would have been fine. It would have been fine. You need another analog stick, though. So a PS2 version makes a lot more sense. But to close out Half-Life, this game by 2008 had sold over 9 million copies. It had a 96 out of 100 on Metacritic. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think the version even better than the source version of play today is a version called Black Mesa, which is yeah. on Steam. It came out fully in 2020. There was earlier versions. It is a full-on community fan remake, and it is gorgeous. Really good looking really good looking game. And you know what valve, I have to give it to valve. Like as, 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 <laughs> as far as big evil corporations go, valve is very, very cool to the people that want to tinker with their toolbox, which I greatly appreciate as someone who is tries to be a creator as much as I possibly can. And it's one of those things where it's really nice to see that. And that's kind of the old school PC mentality the guys in doom wanted doom to be freeware. So yeah, it's kind of how it games. goes. It's, it's the legacy. It's open source. Play my game. It's, it's beautiful. It's like you said earlier, Mike, I think they realize they make so much more money now with Steam, with the engine yeah. itself, selling games and getting a percentage of everyone else versus making games themselves. And they want to get games out to as many people as they can. And I love that about them. And I love that they embraced a remake that you can pick up for like 10 bucks on sale. That is an awesome five to eight hour first person shooter. I mean, if you want to kill a weekend, go for it. It's a really good way to do it. And Half-Life has its very important spot in video game history. And I'm very happy that we got to experience it. Awesome stuff. Cool. So that is 1998 Half-Life for the PC. Uh, we will add it to our Hall of Fame because of its many, many things. It did first, did great, and we will remember for a long time.
Yeah, no, it's definitely a special, special, special game. And I'm very, very happy that it, it exists. I wish Valve would make more games. I think everyone did. I think everyone does. But unlike Konami, they've act- they're actually producing things <laughs> that people like to use. So it's nice to see that their legacy and lineage has continued to bring a lot of happiness to people. So thank you, Valve. Your game has now joined our class of 2022 into our Hall of Fame. And this is where we will now ask Mike in our M&M corner. Well, what have you been playing? So been, I was playing Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga on the 3DS, and it's great. It's an amazing game, but I stopped because Pokemon Legends Arceus released the weekend before we recorded this. So this is a few weeks ago at this point. And it was a game that I was cl- watching closely for weeks and months uh, to see. And like, I had no idea what to expect. The reviews were not coming in yet. The previews were all over the place. Is this game like a big open world game? Is this game like a standard Pokemon game? What are they telling us? What aren't they telling us? And then I started seeing the reviews come out a few days before the game released. And the reviews, for the most part, have been like very good, surprisingly so. Looking at this game, like, oh, yeah, it's a Pokemon offshoot. It'll probably be okay. They never do that well. They never do anything that crazy or interesting. And then you start seeing things like this game is is a is a perfect new starting point for the franchise. This game has reinvented how Pokemon works. This game is the most excited I've been about a Pokemon game in 20 years. And then you sit there and you read these articles and you read these reviews. And you're like, wow, wow, that's saying a lot. And I have to say this much. I started playing it Friday when it came out. We had a blizzard on Saturday, so we were stuck inside. So I played a lot of it, probably 10 or 15, 10 or 12 hours into the game right now. And I have to say that all of those reviews that are that beaming and positive, in my opinion, are correct. Now, I know there's people who complain about graphics. I know there's people that complain about the world being big and empty. That's not That is the point of the game. You're supposed to explore the world. This is a game that has given you the opportunity to go out and explore. So your goals in this game, and it's very different than your normal Pokemon thing. You're a Pokemon researcher in this game. So your goal is to capture Pokemon, get items and craft and make things and battle Pokemon. And the battles still happen like a normal turn-based Pokemon battle are, but you actually get into your battles by throwing your Pokemon out in real time. And then you have a turn-based battle against another Pokemon. And it's brilliant. The way it works is great because you can run up to a Pokemon that'll be in the field. You can choose to try to like hide in the grass to like sneak up on them and catch them, or they might attack you. And if they attack you, you can throw out a Pokemon to fight it. And then you fight it or you can capture it and you beat it. Your guys level up and all the same normal stuff as Pokemon. But there's this constant, continuous kind of, there's no break in the action. And it's great. The fluidity of Pokemon Legends Arceus is so refreshing and i hope that moving forward the mainline pokemon games take some of these pointers from pokemon and employ them in the main series because i really do think being able to have that kind of seamless motion between exploration and, and traversal and battling is very important it is a little bit like monster hunter It is a little bit like Breath of the Wild. It even kind of feels and sounds like Breath of the Wild when you collect items and you do all that stuff and you craft things and all that. But you have this really nice little hub town that you go to that you improve the shops and you talk to people, you do a lot of tasks. There's a whole bunch. It's an open world nonsense. So there's like a main task that you follow, but then you could talk to people and get more requests and do all these different things and your Pokemon get better. And you're supposed to like capture and and research all these Pokemon. So it makes 
it makes sense for you to like just stack and carry like hundreds of pokeballs with you and just catch everything you see so you can continuously level up and it's really good i'm i'm floored by it and like the one review i read that really stuck with me is the same way i feel i've liked pokemon as a series i loved it when it first came out and then i didn't play it for a very long time because i thought it was stupid because i'm an idiot and then I got really back into Pokemon with Pokemon X and Y. And then I went back and played a bunch of the old ones and realized that I'd missed out on a lot of great games over like 15 years or so, or 10, 10 or 12 years. So I've been a Pokemon diehard again since probably about 2012, 2013, whenever those games came out, or maybe 2014, 2015. And I love playing them. I love playing the Pokemon games. But this is the first Pokemon game in 24 years, since 1998, that... I have been excited to jump back into like, I, I, I can't wait till I get home till I can hop on my switch and walk around this Hisui region more and spend more time in it. Like if I had a full, if I had a full week where I had nothing going on, I would sit in this world, capture stuff, make things, walk up as many mountains as I could try to catch every single Pokemon tens, dozens of times and really just soak in this world. It's so much fun. I love this game. It is a little primitive in terms of how it handles some stuff, and I'm excited to see how they sophisticate this game moving forward, but I know it's going to sell well because the reviews are crazy, and it's Pokemon, and the Switch is it's selling like hotcakes. So I'm very excited after playing Pokemon Legends Arceus, or Arceus, I'm very excited to then see where when we can go to the feudal version of Kanto region or the feudal version of Johto region, or the feudal version of Aloha region, Alola region, like all of these places. It's a game that needs to kind of take place in the past the way it does. And it's very exciting to see where they can go with this in the future. I think it is, I think it took a lot of guts for Game Freak to do this. And while the graphics aren't, PS5 caliber, but that's fine. It's really good. Actually surprised at how much I'm liking it. So really give the stamp of approval for Pokemon Legends Arceus. I think it's a fantastic game. It'll probably be one of the best RPGs of the year. I love it. I love it, Mike. I'm only about three hours in and a couple things that really stood out to me. And I love the art style. People are knocking the graphics, knocking this, knocking that. What I really like what you said, Mike, is the fluidity of this game. It's very fluid. Yes. yes. The movements, the animations of the of the Pokemon, the animations of your character, everything just feels really good. So while this might be the infant version of what this game eventually becomes one day, I really like what's here and I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to use a, an ironic word here in the word evolution, but I feel like this is an organic evolution of the Pokemon series because yes. it needed to evolve. People have been asking for it for a long time. But this doesn't feel forced. This feels like the next step for what Pokemon should be. And I think it's great. It's a Pokemon game that exists in a post-Breath of the Wild world. And a post-Monster Hunter world. And I think there's nothing wrong with stealing with what works, especially when it works for no. your game, for your franchise. Take what works for them and adapt it for your series. Because it feels original and unique and different enough. And, and it still feels like a Pokemon game. And that's really the testament to how good Game Freak There's even has made this game. Deep strategy, Mike. Like I've never played Bravely Default or many yeah. RPGs where 
if you do like an agile quick attack, you can actually get two or three attacks in quicker than other yeah. characters. This has that. It shows like whose turn it is the next six or seven turns. And if you use a faster character with a quick attack, you'll actually get another attack in before the other, before your enemy. And I am not used to a game like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. Uh, the turn-based battles still work incredibly yeah. well. And for those of people who are afraid that it's not turn-based, it's totally turn-based still. The combat's still turn-based. It's just a great game to get lost in, man. And like you said, there is strategy. Even to how you hunt your Pokemon down, you can see a bunch of Pokemon like hanging down on a meadow and you see all the tall grass that you can hide in and then sneak up behind them and hit them in the back. And you're more likely to catch them if you do that. So there's tons of strategy. The world is different for the, the way that you experience this game is going to be different person to person. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see more of this. I, I this is it's a weird because the storyline is taking a step back in time, but the gameplay is taking a, le a leap forward in terms of how it operates. Now, I don't think this is replacing the core Pokemon franchise, but it's going to be great to have a new one, a new game like this every few years in conjunction with the Pokemon remake in conjunction with a new generation. If they keep the let's go series, the remake series, a new core one and these, I mean, Pokemon, I, you got to give, you know, game freak a lot of credit for just, People can complain, but these games sell 10 to 15 to 20 plus million units each. And they're all, they're polished quality games. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl were, it was one of the best selling games of 2021. And it was out despite, for like three months. <laughs> it's three months. Despite all of the internet discourse, despite everyone, uh, not everyone, but despite the vocal minority on the internet bashing this game, that game sold like, did it sell 30 million units? I think it, sold it sold a lot. It sold a lot. And Let's Go and Sword and Shield both are in like the top 10 of Switch games sold all time. So I'm sure they are going to have a hit here, like you said. And I'm sure we will get sequels, even if it might take three years or four the years. Only, the only thing that's holding it back from being like a real, real hit is that there's one version. So you're not going to get people to double dip on it. But I don't think that matters. I think people are just into a refreshing take on Pokemon. And there are new people who haven't played Pokemon are getting into this and they're like, this is awesome. I want to play Pokemon now. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see where this can go. And I hope it does. It sells incredibly well. I do too. I I'm looking forward to playing more of it. I'm intrigued being that you've played 10 to 12 hours. I'm only about a third or a quarter of the way where you've been thus far. And like you said, I, I can't wait to, to play some more. Probably as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to fire it up and play a bit more. Yeah. I'm probably going to play a bunch Today, I, 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 it is Final Fantasy VII's 25th birthday, so I do have to spend some time playing Final Fantasy VII today. But I, I think Ar Arceus is going to be something that is uh, part of my life for as long as it can be until I'm finished. Absolutely. Well, thank you, as always, Mike, for joining us on the prestigious special Hall of Fame podcast here for video games. So thank you, as always. Where can people out there find you? Thank you, Matt. You can find me here every week on the Hall of Fame podcast featuring video games. You can also find me on my other podcast, How About This, as we relaunch in season two in February. We have new episodes coming out. They should be actually be coming out right about now when this thing posts. You can also find my band, Bad Mary Band, all over the internet at Bad Mary Band, pretty much every social media outlet slash Bad Mary Band, including Twitch and Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, that's where you can find me. You can find me with Long Island Retro Gaming as well if you search out Long Island Retro Gaming or liretro.com cool stuff so please do check out everything mike's involved with and please check out our back catalog we are some uh, 60 or so games into this hall of fame 
and we are having an excellent time and we love your feedback. We want some reviews and we will see you guys for plenty of more to come. So please do tune in next time. And thank you guys. Play those video games and That's right. uh, have a good week. Enjoy. Thank you. Bye-bye. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.